morning. I'm one of the elders here at uh, Grace Fellowship, and we're absolutely delighted you could be with us this, this morning. Uh, we're beginning a series in the, uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, Peter got us started last week, and uh, uh, today we're, we're going to plunge into the book itself. And the part that we're going to be working on is, is the first 15 verses of the book of Mark. And that's Mark's introduction, his own book. So um, today is, is a bit of introduction. His purpose here is to give us the big picture. He'll do that first, and then later in the book he'll fill in with all the details. His first big point is to declare the king to us. This is the, 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 the fact that the king of all time and eternity has come. Now this may sound a little dramatic, but this is the biggest news you will ever get. The, the fact that God himself came down to our planet, invaded our space and our time, it will never get any bigger than that. We need a little preparation to put this in perspective. That preparation is what we'll be talking today. Mark starts his book in uh, in verse 1 with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I'll uh, go back and review a little bit of what Peter said, but I wanted to say a couple of things about this particular statement. To us, This statement sounds very, very religious, doesn't it? There's a lot of religious terms in there, like the gospel and Jesus Christ and the Son of God. I mean, out in the everyday world, how often do you hear that terminology? The beginning of the gospel, that's actually something that's, uh, that's mentioned in the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, verse 9, and Isaiah 52, verse 7 are both places where, where this phrase is mentioned. But what you may not know is that secular usages to use this phrase to describe the ascension of Julius Caesar, or excuse me, of Augustus Caesar. Now you know who Augustus Caesar was, right? Probably the greatest of all the Roman emperors. Um, and uh, he was he was Caesar when Jesus was born, and so it's it's difficult to put this phrase into English that would mean the same thing in our day as it meant back then, because we haven't got any Augustus Caesar, and we don't want him. <laughs> um, and so we had this whole thing of separation of church and state, and so when. Um, when a phrase like this is used, we want to categorize it as, okay, this is religious or this is government. And never the twain shall meet. They didn't even have that concept. And so it would have been, even though this is about Jesus Christ, it would have been very difficult for people in that day and age to separate this from a political statement. Is there any wonder that the the ancient world reacted to the proclamation of the gospel? 
<clears throat> so this this phrase is used to describe to describe the ascent of a king to his throne. The gospel in general means good news, but in this context, it means the good news of the king's return or the king's ascension. This phrase, this thing that the book of Mark starts off with would have gotten banned in most places in the Roman Empire. We We don't think of this book as being that provocative, do we? It was. It really was. It was radical stuff for that day and that time. Now, Jesus is a, a Greek form of a Hebrew name um, that in the ancient Hebrew Bible we would have pronounced today, we would pronounce it Joshua. And it basically means Savior. It comes from the term of the Lord saves, and, and in common uses it, it would mean Savior. Christ is the same as Hebrew Messiah. Its generic meaning is anointed, but in this context it means king. We crown our kings, they anointed theirs. Son of God in both Hebrew and to the Romans means God. This was a title that both Caesar and Pharaoh used to describe themselves. They were both called Son of God. And by that, they meant that they were God. Now, it's not that they didn't know that they were human beings. They just thought of the gods as kind of just a little bit bigger and better than human beings, see? So they saw themselves as being at that higher level. So the, the point that I'm making here is that Mark declares that Jesus is the king. And in that day and in that time, it was very significant it would have sounded at least as much political as religious. So a more idiomatic rendering of this verse might be the enthronement of the Savior King, who is God Almighty. Does that sound a little different to you? Yeah, I'm trying to get the same impact that this kind of thing would have had in that day and that time. It was not a little statement. Now, perhaps you're new to Christianity and to Christians. That's no problem. We're delighted that you are here. We welcome you. We welcome any questions and comments you may have. But perhaps you are not so new. Perhaps you would consider yourself a Christian. If that's the case, I have a question for you. Are you following the Savior King? Have you given him your whole allegiance to the best of your ability? See, I'm not asking if you're good enough. We already know the answer to that one, right? That is not the question here that Mark is putting before us. Are you good enough? He's asking whose side you're on. He's asking, are you on the Lord's side? So then Mark goes on to quote from the Old Testament prophets in verse 2 and 3 and says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And we have the benefit of hindsight here. We know who the messenger was. That was John the Baptist. 
We also know that what John the Baptist did was prepare the way of the Lord. The coming one is the Lord himself. And this messenger, John the Baptist, is further described in the New Testament as the greatest among that there were none greater among the prophets than him. This is kind of a big deal. If you're from a Jewish background, he's being compared to people like Moses. He's being compared to people like Abraham. This is really a big deal. This is naming all the names. God knew it would be hard for us to accept when he came among us, so he sent John to prepare people 2,000 years ago. In the same way, we need to be prepared. Are we prepared for the Savior King? Are you ready to choose what is good and true and right and just? Or would you prefer to stay inside and close the blinds on your windows while God's great parade passes by? And that's really the question that that Mark is asking by putting things this way. Who is on the Lord's side? Imagine how the Romans reacted to reading this book. (laughs) Yeah, tense. Then Mark continues, John appeared in verses uh, 4 through 8. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in all the country of Judea and in all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism was actually a common Old Testament ritual. It's normally described as a, a washing. And in Greek, the word means washing. And you will find many times where a cleansing ceremony in the Old Testament ends with washing. The main difference between baptisms in the Old Testament and the New Testament in terms of the usage is that usually in the Old Testament you washed yourself, and in the New Testament somebody else does. Remember in the Old Testament that uh, uh, the priests would wash the offering before it went on the altar. You may remember Naaman the leper who went down to the Jordan and dipped himself and baptized himself in the Jordan. But in the New Testament, somebody else usually does it. In both cases, it's a sign that God has forgiven you. It's an outward physical cleansing that illustrates an inward spiritual cleansing. What John is preaching is that if you turn from your sin asking God to forgive you, he will. Okay, that's nuts. That's something for nothing. How often do you get that? You see on TV, come down today, you get something for nothing. And so you jump in your car and you go down, right? No, (laughs) you've heard that before, you don't believe that. This is not so good. 
And on a human level, our God is nuts. To love us, to sacrifice his son for us. And praise God, he is not like us. There's no evening of the moral scales. There's no good outweighing the bad. It's just, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. And you remember when that, uh, Jesus told that story about the Pharisee that went up and prayed and said, Oh, God, I give alms and I take care of the poor and all this. And then the tax collector went up and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that that tax collector went away justified. Unbelievable. The greatest gift of all time, free for the asking. You know that can't be true, right? Just keep on walking by. But it is true. Jesus died and rose again that it might be true for us. The Titanic is sinking and there is a place on the lifeboat for you. Will you refuse? So it might be nuts to come to Christ. It's even nutsoer not to. This is John's baptism. This is wonderful good news. But Jesus' baptism is even better. Jesus' baptism is not in water, but in the Holy Spirit. It's baptism into God himself. He indwells us to transform us into his image. He invades our life to make us whole, to make us clean from the inside out. All I can say is our God likes to take on impossible challenges. He really does. So Mark has announced the king to us. Now he prepares us for that king. What will this new king be like? What will he want? So prepare for the king. A, experience God's approval, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Okay, now this is Jesus leading the way for us. He's baptized with water and with the Holy Spirit, and he is visibly given the invisible God so that we can know that he can give it to us. We can also have our sins washed away and be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus was. What's the point here? Why does God, why does Jesus go through this experience? Why does Mark write about it? Did Jesus seem to be baptized? Well, actually, he didn't have any sin. There wasn't anything to wash away. Why does Mark write about it? It's to show us what God wants to do in us. As we come to God for forgiveness, he doesn't treat us as second class. You ever had somebody come to you and confess that they really messed up and it just really, it's hurt you? I mean, not a little mess up, but a real big mess up? Did you feel like, oh, wonderful, let me hug you? 
And we come to God, we confess our sins, we ask him forgiveness, and he doesn't treat us as second class. He welcomes us as his sons and daughters. He comes to live within us, and he fills us with his love. He tells us he is well pleased with us. It's not that these things didn't cost him. It's not that they weren't hurtful to him. It cost him the death of his son. But he does welcome us freely. There's no way we could pay, so he pays for us. Jesus goes through these things to show us what's in store for us. God's eternal welcome and love. So we experience God's approval. But our world is in rebellion against our loving Father. What does that mean for us? Well, it means we will experience spiritual warfare. And and joining God's parade and being part of his movement, being one of his family, we have declared that we are no longer on the other side. And many early Christians experienced uh, the, the reality of that at the hands of the Romans. You may not know this, but the bloodiest century in history in terms of Christians being martyred was the 1900s. And the only reason the 2000s are not worse or we haven't had enough of them yet. We will experience spiritual warfare. Verses 12 and 13. Experience spiritual warfare. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and angels were ministering to him. Jesus was tested to reveal what he really is. He revealed his godly character. We will also be tested but we are not so godly. He tests us to bring us to repentance and forgiveness. He tests us to transform us into his image. Jesus was tested to reveal God's image. Just as God welcomes us into his presence, he works within us to change us. He works to make us worthy of his calling. We think we need to be wor- work to be worthy of his welcome. But you know that's wrong. We will fail at that. And God's, instead, God first welcomes us and then goes to work to make us worthy. <clears throat> because it is God who works in us, he will succeed. This is wonderful. This is truly great news. This is the gospel. So now the king has been declared to us and we have been prepared for him. Now, we are called to follow him in ministry. In verses 14 and 15, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The stage has been set. Jesus has been announced as the Savior King. Now the play will will begin and God will fulfill his purposes. Jesus will go on to do great miracles and reveal God in his fullness and greatness. 
He will show us God in his love and grace by laying his life down for us. All these great things lay ahead. We will walk through these great events in the weeks to come. For now, it has begun. The king has been declared to us. Um, and and just you know, just let me reiterate that Mark uses the same terminology as was used to announce Caesar Augustus's ascension to the throne. That should rock you back on your heels. I don't think he wanted to start a fight with the Romans. I think he realized he had one on his hands. Um, the, the church tradition is that uh, Mark had gone to be, be with Peter after uh, after Paul had been beheaded and that he was there with Peter while Peter was crucified upside down. And then he went on to, to write his gospel under Peter's authority. And uh, And I'm sure that Mark knew about what what it was going to be like to fight it out with the Romans. And yet, and yet, he took the same wording as Caesar Augustus's announcement in announcing and declaring the king. And then he's preparing us here for that king. <clears throat> In the Roman world, Kings were not necessarily somebody you wanted in your backyard. Uh, they tended to take things. <clears throat> they, now, they would uh, typically do a little uh, legislating and, uh, and work it out so that you could pay taxes and all that sort of thing. Um, the vast majority of the Roman Empire lived on the edge of the survival. Uh, there, there were those who were wealthy. Most people were not. Most people lived right on the on the edge. They were one disaster away from oblivion. And that's as close as it, it, it came. A good king would take your stuff, but he would at least keep other people from taking your stuff. Bad king, he would take your stuff, and then he would let other people take your stuff too. How different is Jesus from that? When the bad things start happening, Jesus steps in the way and takes the bullet. What Caesar ever did that? What Caesar went out to sacrifice himself for his people? And then he works in us to change us. You know, the rebellion that we have within us is not a good thing. It does not help us. It does not, it does not make our way easier in this world. We need to be freed of that. And he is working within us. He lets us experience the spiritual warfare. And even that is a measure of his grace. This is, uh, this is destroying the disease that's destroying us. <clears throat> Some of you know that uh, uh, my wife has a uh, rare form of, uh, of blood cancer. It's, um, 
very slow growing. She's uh, she's had it for years and years, um, and it's not any fun. It's it's really not. And uh, recently, in the last couple of years, we found out about a uh, a treatment. Uh, the, all the treatments she's had up to this point are things that keep the symptoms at bay, but don't actually treat the disease. We're very grateful for that. But when this treatment came along that actually treats the disease, whew, we really wanted to, to get that. <clears throat> and uh, uh, this, this particular treatment has some side effects as you get used to it. And basically what they do is they, uh, um, well, just in terms of your digestive tract, things get real messy. Yeah, what picture comes to your mind? Okay, messier than that. This was not fun. Um, and, and so, in fact, it was so not fun that uh, the doctor told her to stop taking it. Well, as, as much not fun as it was, we really wanted to take that. We really wanted to make this thing work. And it took a while, but uh, the doctor finally let us start slower and get used to it. And the really good news is that, is that now she has generally gotten used to it. And you know what? We're very grateful for that. Even though it led to these awful side effects in the beginning, she was able to get used to it, and she's really not experiencing much in the way of side effects. So was that new medication a good thing? In fact, she just looked up her test results, and her test results are all, are just about as low as they have been for 15 years. It's, it's not like the thing is killed off. It's still there. But this medication, it's, it's like the, the weed eater, you know? Mm-hmm. Go out and mow it down. The weeds still come back. But it's much better than it was. <clears throat> And that's like spiritual warfare in our lives. We don't like to be that battle zone. But yet the Lord allows that. And it's very, very good for us. It's very good for us. So he declares the king, he prepares us for the king. And now we're at the end of the beginning where the stage has been set. Jesus is announced as the king. And all the great events will begin to unfold. The stage has also been set for us. Jesus has been revealed to us. We've been called to follow him, to be his disciples. Why would God choose imperfect people like us to bear his image to the world around us? You know, I really don't know. Um, If I were doing it, I would realize it would just be a whole lot easier just to do it myself. But for whatever reason, he loves us enough to actually use us to do it and to work through us. He has chosen us to represent him. And broken and as marred as we are, what else can we do but give ourselves to this great calling? What else are you going to do with your life? 
People go have fun, make a lot of money, retire in Cancun, you know. Might as well accomplish something worthwhile. So let's follow him. In this Gospel of Mark, he will lead us through the great events of his time on earth. We will see him heal the sick and raise the dead. We will see him crucified and crushed for our sins and raised from the dead himself. We will follow him through these things both in this gospel and in our lives. The things that he is going through here are setting an example for us. And they're the kind of things that we're going to go through. So let's celebrate this morning by remembering him, our risen Savior. Uh, We're going to uh, celebrate communion this morning and uh, remember what he did for us. It's interesting that uh, the two real ceremonies that the Lord set up, one is baptism, the other is the Lord's Supper that, uh, that we're celebrating today. Those were kind of the two main things that, that he got us working on. And that they would both come up in this um, introductory passage. Um, the Lord laying his life down for us, he is the Savior King. He is the one that, uh, that leads the way. And we need to remember that. What he's done for us is what this is all about. In uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. And in a few minutes here, we're going to come up and, and get the elements. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus specifically took his last meal and turned it into a way to remember him. And what happens to that meal as you eat it? Yeah, it doesn't come out looking so pretty, right? It gets des- it gets destroyed as you eat it, and it goes through your system. But through that, through that meal, you actually get life, don't you? And so Jesus is using that to illustrate what coming to him becomes in us. That we are transformed into his image through his indwelling us and transforming us. So maybe we get the musicians to come up. Are we doing that today? Oh, good. And what I'd like to do is just take a couple minutes and each each one quietly in your seat, remember what the Lord has done for you and ask him uh, to work his will in you that you would be totally dedicated to him. I'll pray in just a couple minutes.
Oh, fathers, we come before you. We remember that you sent your only son uh, to come as our Savior came and to uh, deliver us from our sin, to create in us a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And uh, we are so grateful for that. Father, we, we remember what it cost you to send your son Jesus. We remember that it cost Jesus his life to deliver us. And Father, we are immensely grateful. Father, continue your work in us, transforming us into your image. Thank you, Father, that you have welcomed us and accepted us. Thank you for your son and the grand wisdom.